two batting around. It's batting around. It's a baseball podcast, a uh, bonus episode one where we're actually talking about baseball. <laughs> uh, that's a, yeah, it's a rarity these days. I am your co-host, Jane Austen. With me as always is Lauren. I'm, I'm Lauren. That's Lauren. <laughs> and Steven. Yep. And uh, for our guest this uh, this bonus episode, I have a guest that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, it's our first actual baseball player that's been on the show. Uh, it's Trevor Hildenberger. How's it going, Trevor? It's going great. It's going great. I'm the first ever baseball player yeah. on here. I'm honored. Yeah. yeah. Well, for the first professional. I'm sure at some point someone on our played yeah. like yeah. some little yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and... 2018, I went to a lot of Twins games. So I think I went to 30 games, so I definitely saw you pitch a lot. I, I pitched <laughs> in a lot of Twins games in 2018. So yeah, I think, you did. Yeah, <laughs> I overlapped. But you've been, uh, yeah, you've been getting getting some attention in the uh yeah. in the, in the press lately. It's you, uh, for you racked up a pretty big dub, as the as the young people <laughs> yeah. say, fairly yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've seen you. Yeah, I've seen you pop up for a, like good baseball news. Like not the <laughs> not, not the most common thing these days. Yeah, like relatively like. rare, but like yeah. actually <laughs> genuinely encouraging news. Unambiguously yeah. like good baseball news. Yeah, positivity in twenty twenty two. That's great. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I don't really. think we could do that anymore. I thought that was like yeah, yeah. So the miners are unionizing. Like <laughs> holy shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> congratulations like congratulations yeah yeah no really that's that's very kind of you guys we're we're really excited um and it's honestly happened faster than uh we expected yeah yeah i mean yeah from from the outside away yeah but from the outside it like really blew us away how how quickly this happened and like how rapidly the uh developments were coming out once the you know once the news was uh was uh, broken back in like what the end of August, and it was like seventeen days or something <laughs> before the yeah before, before uh, we had gotten recognized. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, obviously there had been a lot um, transpiring in the background for the last couple of years, of course. But in terms of the time when we sent out the union cards to be signed, to reaching thirty percent, to reaching fifty percent, and then to asking for voluntary recognition, and then to for MLB to say. Yes, we voluntarily recognized the MLBPA to represent you in, in bargaining. Was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rocket rocket ship. Yeah, did you did you guys think speed. that there would be more of a fight? Because like, I think a lot of us assumed that there wouldn't be voluntarily uh, voluntary recognition. Like, yeah, I I personally definitely expected um, a bit more of a, a a bumpier road or some legal challenges and um, a mail in ballot election. I thought mm-hmm. that we would definitely have to go there. Um, obviously super overwhelmed and excited that we didn't have to do that. And then we just can get to bargaining even faster and hopefully get a fair deal um, as soon as possible. But yeah, I, I, I was expecting a longer, a longer grind, a longer battle. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about like the background buildup and your experience with that? Because I, I don't know how intensive or how long that had been going on. Actually, yeah. If I can ask a really specific question that's been gnawing in the back of my sure. brain for for year for for months now since this <laughs> happened, you've talked in in stories in, in other podcasts about this about the the difficulty of finding time one on one to to talk to guys about this and, and convert them. Uh, and I I've wanted to know so bad was anybody like brought into this through Fortnite. <laughs> 
Um, not by me, but I guarantee that that happened. Okay, good. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. That makes you really happy. Okay. No, please. It, it sounds like it's a fascinating experience. I think people are going to like make movies about it someday. So I'm, I'm really curious if you have any thoughts about like what the, those years of build up, like what it took, the kinds of like the, the players involved. Uh, it, it's so complicated. Yeah. I think just even since I started professional baseball, I was drafted in 2014 just the entire culture about what was expected and what was um, accepted as a player, the treatment and the the low level wages and the working conditions. And it was kind of just like, a, um, yeah, this is part of it. Like this is the path you have to take. If you want to play in the big leagues, this is what you got to do. You know, unless you're a international superstar who's had massive success in Japan and goes straight to the big leagues, you're going to be a minor leaguer. And you're going to make less than 10,000 a year and you're going to go to spring training unpaid and you're going to go to these development camps in the off season unpaid and you have to take, you know, 12 to 16 hour bus rides and play the next day, a day game, stuff like that. And I think there were multiple factors in Mm -hmm. terms of guys being kind of afraid to, to speak Mm -hmm. out and speak up about these working conditions or, even acknowledge that we had any power to do anything about them. But I think the first step was the save America's pastime act and the wording that, that MLB used um, when lobbying Congress to make sure that minor leaguers were exempt from federal labor laws. Mm-hmm. And the seasonal apprentices, wasn't it? Seasonal something? apprentices. Yeah. Awesome. It, it would have been like faster to just write into the bill, like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, that shit was so fucking dark. You know, we, we, as players, knew that that's how they felt about us and because we experienced it every day mm-hmm. but we always thought that they would be like more of kind of a secret you know and if the they public ever found out about this that there would be backlash and then they mm-hmm. just like said it out loud that's and right yeah yeah and like put it in legislation or whatever the statement was and that felt like wow they really they don't care like mm-hmm. they put a bullet in your gun there like you could use to like talk to other uh, players about this like mm-hmm. literally just sure. point at it and just be like look at what they think of you dude exactly like, yeah yeah exactly like look at what they you dedicate your life to this and look what they care look how much they care mm-hmm. um so that was step one i think a lot of guys were had their eyes open to that that they it's not like a secret they're, they're not really ashamed of it they're kind of just like yeah this is how we're going to treat minor leaguers and this is how we want to treat them for the future mm-hmm. um Another step was the canceled season in 2020. They canceled minor league season, right. I, should, I should say. And um, owners, you know, initially refusing to pay minor leaguers. And then there was actually a large amount of backlash. And a lot of owners ended up paying minor, uh, guys a flat rate, I think $400 a week or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. But initially, they didn't want to pay us anything. It's just like, you're out of work. Tough, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Definitely the lawsuit that was settled this year um, about back pay in Florida and Arizona for spring training and, and instructs. And that settled for $185 million. I think $120 about is going to minor league players. And that's when guys, because they, you know, that was on Twitter and that was on Instagram and mm-hmm. a relatively large story. And, and people who aren't plugged into the labor landscape at large were kind of like, I get a chunk of that money, don't I? Like, I'm going to see a check. And at that point, I think people were comfortable asking me questions like that. 
because mm-hmm. I had been a little more verbal about working conditions and stuff like that. So that was an easy inroad to talk to them about, you know, yes, you are going to get a check. And actually, if you want a little bit more money, there are things we can do. <laughs> and if you're interested, like, we can have a longer conversation. Yeah. So, so totally, the, yeah. the radicalizing moments came in both carrot and stick form because you got like you got <laughs> yeah. the Save America's Pastime Act to like be like, hey, look at look at this. And then, mm-hmm. but you also like, hey, look at that check. Yep. Um, yeah. Like they, you can look at the Save America's Pastime Act and say, look, they don't want to pay us, mm-hmm. but they also don't want to go to court because they know they're in the wrong and they know they're going to lose. So that's why they settled. They agreed to pay us back pay and they know that they're criminally underpaying us. And right. the idea is to, you know, get a more fair wage. Mm-hmm. And to back up for just a quick second, that, that 2020 disappeared season, you mentioned the, the, that huge backlash that they felt for just not playing anybody. That was coming from the players, that was coming from fans, like who, who all, what were the voices in there that they actually did respond to? That's a good question. I think, I mean, players were upset, but players have been upset about wages for a long time and not a lot has changed. Um, I think it was media. I know that there were um articles in the athletic around that time and maybe espn i think june lee wrote an article um about working conditions in the angels organizations and maybe the baltimore orioles organizations mm-hmm. um and the public i think f- there was a large outcry in the public when minor leaguers weren't going to get paid that year and um owners responded yeah uh we were <laughs> we were a part of that <laughs> yeah we were bitching on twitter yeah but no my, my, i think it's just an interesting parallel between yeah <laughs> we we did that we helped <laughs> everything yeah. else yeah. no i, I mentioned because i think it's an interesting parallel about how much of like the uh, the unions the, str- the struggle of the union is to like get the message out to a broader audience who isn't going to be exposed who isn't going to know what what the working conditions are like until people talk and that's like a big that sounds like a big factor in this whole story mm-hmm. absolutely i think you know over the past 10 years obviously social media is now in everyone's hands and every player has is going to have a Twitter handle or Instagram handle, nearly every player. And that gives them the tool to directly share their working experiences with fans. And I think a lot of baseball fans might not know or understand mm-hmm. what working conditions are in the minor leagues, because maybe some people think like, Oh, you're a professional athlete. You play for the New York Yankees. Like you're chilling. You got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, like and, everybody that I've like talked to about this stuff that doesn't really know about it is always shocked when i tell them like how much minor leaguers make shocking <laughs> like, and then they, have, they have no idea i was in baseball you know in college and i had no idea i yeah, didn't right. do it oh no mlb the show says he's making sixty thousand a year in double a like come on Heck, <laughs> yeah they wouldn't lie to me in a video game yeah propaganda propaganda yeah yeah state-sponsored he, media he started, yeah he started straight and tripler in double a yeah look how mm-hmm. fast he moved up yeah. yeah mlb the show is basically a north korean television yeah <laughs> obviously the this drive was successful you convinced a, you know the, enough players were convinced to sign cards but like when you were talking to other guys like how amenable were they to this? Like, how hard did you have to like work to convince them generally? Uh, I think, like, I mean, I'm sure, different, but you know, per, per player to player, but like, yeah, there was a definitely a varying degree. Um, a lot of players were super receptive to the idea, and some less receptive and less willing to to stick their necks out there because there are a lot of players who maybe don't have uh, the time or the the energy to spend focusing on that, and they're really just trying to be the best right. baseball player they can be and take care yeah. of their families and didn't want to rock the boat too much and felt like mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's a common story in unionization efforts, you know, across all industries, though, really. Yeah, Yeah. if you're a fringe-type player and you don't feel like if this news got out that you supported this or you voted for whatever, um, the organization might, you know, be a little more angry with you and you risk Mm -hmm. your career. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a real threat. And I think that guys, I commend a lot of guys for, for, you know, voting through that threat and signing the union card anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. Doing a lot of surveys through minor league uh, advocates for minor leaguers. So yeah, definitely a varying degree, but for the most part, I had overwhelmingly positive and exciting conversations with guys about mm-hmm. the possibility of improving the minor leagues. And a lot of guys, especially over the last six years, I think since 2016, I would say my first two years in minor league baseball were markedly people were more scared to speak out. And then for some reason in 2016, 2017, people became like, fuck it. Like, I don't care. Like, I need to change. I need to say something <laughs> yeah, or we totally. can do this. I yeah. don't care if we piss people off. Like, let's Maybe there it. was some kind of galvanizing presidential campaign that year. That might have been <laughs> no, 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 we're not going to. We don't need to. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. No. Yeah, uh, would you say that there were like characteristics of play- players like Broadly speaking, this kind of guy was more inclined, this kind of guy was less inclined, or is it just like every single individual is going to have so much stuff going on in their own head, you got to approach each one like totally unlike the rest? We're asking you if pitchers are uh, especially weird, basically. <laughs> uh. um, pitchers are especially weird, but not yeah. in terms of radicalization and politics. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think for sure young international players, especially Latin-born players, mm-hmm. felt the most at risk. And of course. Uh, I understand that because the team, you know, is in control of their work visa. And that is a they scary... They have a lot more to lose. Yeah, the stakes are really high. Yeah, They're probably, yeah really they might high. be sending money back home and stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. to be a, an 18-year-old overseas for the first time, living on your own for the first time, it's uh, it's quite scary. And then to be to go in against yeah. your, your billion-dollar employee or employer um is quite scary totally and it's a it's a total testament to how hard you guys worked and to their own bravery that a bunch i'm sure did sign 100 100 percent. and i think um the fact that we are being absorbed you know into the mlbpa which is the union you're gonna be in when you're major leaguer anywhere that was one of the big developments that was like kind of surprising Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. is that yeah that you're get uh organizing (laughs) into that yeah yeah really thankful to to the MLBPA and to Tony Clark. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously everyone who ran advocates for minor leaguers deserves the most gratitude in my eyes. Yeah, Harry Marino, really who's the executive director. Yeah. Um, Kieran Lovegrove, who is a former player playing the minor leagues for nine years. Josh Tolley, who played in the big leagues and the minor leagues. Uh, Andrew Tripp is a guy uh, who's led many unionization efforts. Um, and a guy named mm-hmm. Kevin Slack, who I worked with um, closely with advocates, but the whole team uh, yeah. worked tirelessly for months and years on end to make the housing policy, minor league housing policy mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. That felt like a and huge breakthrough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a huge win that we could also point to and say, look, guys, public pressure really works and we can actually make changes through these avenues. Um, and then obviously the unionization drive. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, it worked out well. Obviously I was, ecstatic when the news came out i was at my parents house when i got a a message in my group chat and i thought we had just got a response from mlb about um voluntary recognition i really didn't think the response was going to be yes (laughs) when i came i was just like holy fucking shit 
Yeah. Totally. <laughs> shit. You you thought it was gonna be like uh Rob Manfred declines to comment on latest uh yeah latest development or something like that. Yeah, him just saying like who? Who wants right? yeah. <laughs> Rob Rob Manfred offers to shoot you out of a cannon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're talking about having all these conversations with your teammates and fellow players. Where did where did your passion for this come from? My experiences in the minor leagues, I think um, when I was first drafted, I was 23. I was a fifth-year senior sign um, in the 22nd round, which they don't even have anymore. Right. I was paid oh, about 1000 Um And after taxes, it was like five seventy. dollars mm-hmm. um, I was sent to Florida. I was the oldest guy on my team, and most of my teammates were, were either high school picks or international players. Um, so they were still teenagers. And the Twins had just recently built this new facility in Fort Myers, which you had to stay in unless you owned property in Florida. And it was $17 a day taken out of our paychecks, like non-negotiable. And so my paychecks at the end of two weeks, like a full paycheck was about 185 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty shocking because I, I just, I hadn't had a job until after college. I was playing summer ball or at, in summer school throughout um, college. So my first job, I was like, damn, this hard. Like, I'm not making any money. Yeah. And I had student loans to pay back that were accruing interest faster than I could pay them down. So for until I made the big leagues, I was in the red every year. Totally. It's really hard to just like look at your bank account and just say like, this is really, this is, you know, is this keep worth doing versus getting like a, a regular job that'll be more upfront and let me like not see that number keep going down every month. Yeah. A thousand percent. And I think that, I saw guys who I personally believed had the talent and Mm -hmm. the work ethic and the possibility to play in the major leagues for a long time Mm -hmm. and guys who quit baseball. That's not good for the game. That's not good for them or their families, but minor league was an untenable lifestyle. They couldn't afford, you know, rent in the off season. They couldn't afford formula or diapers for their kids and supporting their families. And they had to quit and find some other stable Mm -hmm. job where, they could be closer to their families and they can make more money. And that's, Absolutely. that's really a shame. Absolutely. Everyone deserves to make enough money to not have to eat Chipotle as well. Yeah. Everybody deserves a living wage and to not yeah. eat Chipotle. <laughs> yeah. No, my, my understanding is many athletes at all levels of income end up eating at Chipotle for the protein and the gains. But um, personally, <laughs> I don't think anyone should be, should, should have to subject themselves to that. Sorry. That's, that's, that's my aside. Uh, did you, so yeah, you said you were, yeah. Fifth year senior drafted twenty second round. I mean, did you when like when did you figure out like yeah I'm gonna give baseball a go like try to do this professionally try to get drafted? So my my college career was a bit of a windy road. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to Cal and I was not prepared well enough to be a collegiate baseball player. And like you know you have to make those choices about your life priorities: school, yeah. baseball, social life. Um, and I wasn't good at that. I wasn't good at, at that balancing act. I didn't take weightlifting. I seriously. didn't even have baseball, and I wasn't good at that either. Yeah, no, yeah. I was going to say I was a failure <laughs> senior too, and that was just because I I was really bad at class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was difficult that transition, and um, I didn't take diet seriously. I didn't take weightlifting seriously. Um, so I wasn't a good baseball player in college until I switched to sidearm. Which I I feel sad I'm not. I remember uh, a couple of years ago seeing I don't remember if it was an interview or something about you about how you switched yeah down to down to sidearm. Um, yeah, I switched uh, in college. A very happenstance situation popped up where I was waiting to throw a bullpen and 
the guy ahead of me is wearing the wrong jersey. And my pitching coach made a comment about how he sees pictures number 37 as like a, a power hitting corner outfielder. I said, oh, that's interesting <laughs> that you have certain preconceptions about jersey numbers. What do you picture when you see 26, which was mine? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, oh, there was a sign armor from Washington, number 26. And actually, David Berg, a side armor from UCLA is number 26 too. He's like, have you ever thrown that way? And I said, no. He's like, wow. all right, step up, try it right now. Uh, and I did. And I was like around the strike zone. My arm didn't hurt. And yeah. He's like, all right. Like, that's how you throw now. Take it seriously. I watched a ton of videos of Joe Smith and Darren O'Day and Dan Quisenberry um, yeah. to try to figure out what I was going to do. And then I pitched a bunch my fourth year. Well, it led yeah. to a pretty, yeah, it led to a pretty fun to watch change up. Like, oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. That didn't come for actually a long time after I switched. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was, and then my fifth year, I pitched a bunch more and got drafted. And I, even when I got drafted, I figured, I figured it was going to be a, a, a couple years of fun, you know, play until they'd ripped the Jersey off my back. I didn't really <laughs> think of it as a career, a career long thing until I made it to double A. And I was like, oh, I can, I can do this. You can hang. Yeah. Hell yeah. That fucking rocks. You got your, <laughs> from a Jersey number. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you never know what conversation is going to take your career and just extend it by a decade. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And now here you are as a union organizer, and <laughs> yeah, the thing I'm most proud of. Oh, yeah. 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 Is there is there anything is there anything else you want to touch on about Baseball the stuff? about like being a minor leaguer? I should I should definitely say that I am one of a very large number of guys who had the mm-hmm. same conversations that I did in the clubhouses across organizations, uh, across levels. And it wouldn't have been possible without the right guys at the right time who were willing to stick their necks out there and, and be that face in the clubhouse and say, it's one, be the annoying guy who's coming up to everybody and trying to follow <laughs> up. Hey, have you seen this on Twitter? Have you seen this? <laughs> Sign this card. What's your email? What's your phone number? Um, and also be the guy who's comfortable answering questions. And if they didn't know the answer, reaching out to somebody who did, and we all, um, kind of did that together. And yeah, there were probably a hundred plus guys who made this happen. Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually an interesting point because you're one of the few who are pretty visible, uh, doing interviews and, 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 and posting about it a lot on social, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I guess I'm asking where that comfort level came from. Um, have you always been this comfortable, just kind of putting yourself out there, or was this just sort of like a? Or does it go to the thing do? you were saying about how, like, well, you know, I figured I'd do this as long as I could. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it yeah. definitely goes back to that. When I was a sophomore in college, Cal cut their baseball team because mm-hmm. we didn't have any funding, um, and they cut gymnastics and women's lacrosse or field hockey and men's rugby oh this would have been like 20 like early 2010s like yeah i think like a bunch of california schools were cutting a bunch of athletic programs yeah yeah budget cuts they had cut baseball and you know baseball had been at cal for over 100 years or whatever and so i was and like i was talking about i was bad at the time so guys were getting recruited to other schools and i was going to hang them up i was going to stick at cal get my degree and that and end my career and i would really come to terms with that baseball being out of my life at 20 i think it was 19 20 and then um, after my fourth year in college, my scholarship was up. I didn't get drafted. I was finishing my degree in summer school. Um, 
not taking care of my body in a baseball specific way, like a lot of beach body workouts in the gym, which is like horrible for your arm. <laughs> and, um, oh. and then my coach called me and said, you know, an incoming freshman signed unexpectedly to go play pro ball. And we have some scholarship money freed up. Would you want to play fifth year? So that was the second time I had come to terms with baseball being out of my life. Um, so when I, and then I wasn't making much money, obviously in pro ball. So it wasn't a big deal if to me, I had a very good, I was very fortunate to have a, a good support system through my girlfriend, now wife and my parents. So I didn't feel the pressure of like baseball had to be my Avenue. This was my only, uh, right. my only opportunity. Um, so yeah, that the comfort level of, of speaking out and kind of sticking my neck out there, I think stems from all those experiences and just being like, I'll probably be all right. If, if I get cut here. You know? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Just, just when you think you're out, baseball reels you back in. Yeah. 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 If, if I can like briefly segue from something you said there, like what, what are like the baseball, like the arm specific, like work, like uh, how does your, how does your fitness routine evolve as a baseball player? Um, I think you, uh, younger and younger guys are, n- are now getting on arm programs that they call arm programs, which is just mm-hmm. arm care. Uh, a lot of ro- rotator cuff stuff. So like, surgical tubing or something called Jaeger bands. You do a ton of like internal, external rotation, mm-hmm. um, scap work, a lot of work on your, um, your posterior shoulder in order to slow your arm down. Cause you could throw as hard as you want, but if you can't, if your body can't decelerate your arm, you're going to get injured. You're going to mm-hmm. put too much force on mm-hmm. your body without being able yeah. to stop. So you need strong breaks essentially. And like, I personally, I never wanted my arm to be like super tight but in that period where I thought I was done playing baseball, I was like bench pressing, which is awful for your labrum and like doing a bunch of curls and tricep pushdowns and not stretching or rolling out at all. Mm-hmm. And so when he was like, come back for your fifth year, I was like, oh, shit, I gotta <laughs> start throwing again. Um, and it's crazy how fast you lose it. I think if you take a month off from throwing, it probably takes two to three months to get back to where you were. So um, Jesus. That's like oh, when yeah, I was yeah. playing StarCraft competitively. It's just like that. <laughs> yeah, if I didn't play for a day, I lost, you know, three days of uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly like, like that. that. Yeah, it's such a finely tuned. Exactly, I'm just like mm-hmm. you. Uh, yeah, very finely. Like if I don't tweet for a day, it's all it's yeah. all it's all gone. <laughs> my, yeah, my posting gets it's like but that's all... like healing. If you're off Twitter for 24 hours, your brain like heals almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, gotta pick at this scab, open up this wound again, so that I can exactly. Post. Yeah. Uh, speaking of posting, so one of the one of the things that we're doing on our bonus episodes here is we're we're getting our listeners ready for the off season because there's only so much baseball left in the MLB season, and we don't want them to just go into it cold. You know, they'll they'll just start wandering the streets, not knowing what to do. They might get involved in crime or something. We don't know, but what we're trying to get them other other ways to mm-hmm. uh, to keep them sated over the winter. And I noticed from your posting that uh you're really into f1 yes yeah <laughs> yes so, i am you want to can you can you give us a like a, a little a little spiel on like what you like about what f1's deal is what you like about it what and, to look out for for like if you're like and, a new f1 fan and, maybe and did you like every e-girl i know on twitter get into it through the netflix show <laughs> <laughs> One thousand percent, and I know that there is a stigma <laughs> my, around my that. Dad did too, and I, no, I no, just accept it. It's great, yeah. How hundred percent, especially about a lot of, of American fans. Like, oh, this, that's the DTS crowd. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, it is. Yeah. This is how I found the show. Because at, at first, I was not waking up at five a.m. to watch 
the Monaco Grand Prix in 2015, you know? So right. I got recommended the show and uh, I took an edible and watched the <laughs> show for the uh-huh. first time. And I was like, this is amazing. Like these are rocket ships on wheels. Yeah. And these guys, I had no idea how dangerous it was that people, multiple drivers have died. And obviously this, the, the sport has increased in safety. And I think that this was probably uh, COVID. I think at the time in quarantine, I got into the show That's right. and then I started watching races live. But the thing for about racing for me is like, you could do everything right in practice in qualifying in the race you can do everything right for i don't know what are what's a race 60 laps or 50 to 70 laps somewhere in there and all your practice laps and qualifying and you put one foot wrong and you go into the wall you get nothing mm-hmm. nothing <laughs> and so our, everything is at risk in every corner and that is amazing because if you're pitching a game and you're cruising by eight runs, you're up eight runs and you make a mistake and a guy hits a homer, big deal. You're still up seven runs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you got a 30 second lead uh, or you're leading the French Grand Prix and you go off and bend it into the wall, that's it. Nothing. No one cares you got pole. Mm-hmm. No one cares you led every practice session and no one cares that you got off the line real good. You get nothing. And so that that type of drama, especially with the safety and going 200 miles an hour is is what excites me. Totally, yeah, 100% percent adrenaline, 100% of the time. Yeah, I totally yeah. see DPL. Uh, had you been into any like other racing before, like NASCAR or, or like um, anything? No. Else? Or th- it was just like, the Netflix show taking off? The Netflix show taking off, uh-huh. I think. Even when I when I started the show, I was like, okay, you're going to get attached to the, um, the drivers because they become characters to you. You know, they mm-hmm. become personalities that you, you form parasocial attachments to. <laughs> and then from there that evolved into liking the sport and then mm-hmm. learning about strategy and tire management and different circuit characteristics and stuff like that. Um, so I, had, before that I hadn't watched any NASCAR, any IndyCar, any MotoGP, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. That, wow. that really mirrors a lot of the same ways. Like you always hear people talk about how to get into baseball. Like, yeah, find some people to follow who you think are interesting personalities just watch the games and try to pick up on the nuances and it just takes time. The difference of course, is that you have to do it at 4am. Yeah. You have to do <laughs> yeah. it at 4am on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. That's one of my favorite yeah. games to play early on a, a weekend morning is, um, is this sicko that I follow t- uh, tweeting about soccer or F1? Like, try, <laughs> trying to determine that. Yeah. It's like a totally context tweet. He, he, I didn't think he was going to do it, but he did it. And it's like yeah. the most pumped up thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I think I tweeted about F1 at like 8 a.m. after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in 2021, last year. And it got like one like. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who's following me. for. Nobody is following me for this content. Nobody asked for this, but I just like splat out my opinion anyways. No, those are the tweets for you. Those are the tweets for you. Yep. Anytime (laughs) I ever talk about music, same deal. Like, it'll be like, oh, no, nothing. Literally nobody interacted with that. Awesome. (laughs) 12,000 of you, all failures. (laughs) So are, are you trying to break into F1 Twitter? Are you, are you following the hashtags? All right. I'm trying to peek through the curtain and get people to notice me, but um, <laughs> it's not like a, a true, a true passion yet. 
And whenever, whenever I am a former player, I will follow by one true passion, which is, you know, shit posting. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> much less, much less good for your body than golf. Yeah. Oh, I hate golf. Oh my God. <laughs> I hate golf too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, I feel, that's gotta be, that's gotta be controversial in the clubhouse. Yeah. I mean, everybody assumes <laughs> that I play golf. I'm just like, you know. Another don't white reliever. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. play golf on the weekends. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I despise it. I don't want to spend my time doing it. I understand some of the appeal of it. You're mm-hmm. outside. You're doing something athletic. You're with your friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys, you know, drink beer while they're doing it. That's cool. But uh, people take it to a, a level that I have no aspirations of. Yeah, of I'd, I'd rather mm-hmm. just go for a walk. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you go hiking for like two hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing is, it it, it it takes up your life. Like, there's you can't be a casual golfer. You're either like you don't golf at all, or all you do is golf. Yeah, and the etiquette surrounding it. You know what you got to wear to courses, and then like, mm-hmm. oh my god, he stepped away from the ball because like a bee flew too close to his ear and it was too loud. <laughs> like every other sport in the world, you can scream at the person except for tennis too but i hate that etiquette too you can scream in their ear about how bad they suck and how much you want them to fail but golf if somebody sneezes too loud you got to start over <laughs> no one learned the lesson of happy gilmore at all yeah. or caddyshack or, or caddyshack yeah. yeah come on <laughs> no that's awesome yeah the, the thing i my, my perception of f1 and this could be totally wrong is that uh, the the balance between the technology of the car and the skill of the driver is not always like it perfectly even? Like uh, there are certain car manufacturers, certain like technological advances that can really kind of leapfrog someone who otherwise might not be at the very top of the sport. Is that an accurate kind of impression of of what the that that balance is? Or yeah, absolutely. And I think that that takes some time to understand about the the sport. Is like oh the the guy who finished 14th must be the 14th best driver. And that's not really the case. I think mm-hmm. if you put the best driver in the world in the worst car, they're not going to win any races. Initially, I think good drivers and especially a skill for the top drivers is to help a team develop a car. Mm-hmm. So like finding areas of improvement and F1 cars are so sensitive aerodynamically, which I didn't know, mm-hmm. but like even little tweaks in the aero and the front wing and the, or the rear wing, you know, can make massive improvements over a full lap. So a driver that's able to feel that stuff in the car and then like translate that to the engineers and the mechanics, um, that's what makes them the, the best in the world. Totally. It, it seems like there's a bit of a, a comparison there to like changing the stitching on the baseball, just a little tiny bit. And suddenly <laughs> that would be incredible. Uh, yeah. If you get the same exact baseball, exactly how you wanted it, every pitch or every outing. Yeah. That'd be crazy. So, Okay. I know almost nothing about F1. Like I know that I know like the absolute base level base, basic shit. Right on. What's like, are, are there just all, is there like a season? Are there like standings? Is it more of a, this race happens at this time and this race happens at the, like what's the structure of it? So yeah, the season is a calendar year. I think okay. preseason testing starts in February and the last race is in early December. So it takes course over 10 months or so. Um, there's 23 races this year and 24 races next year. Uh, and you get only the top, t- there's 20, 20 cars, 10 teams. So two mm-hmm. cars per team. Okay. And from that like introduction standpoint, it's very simple. Um, and then the point structure is 
you get the most points for a victory, Grand Prix victory on Sunday, and that's 25 points, and then it kind of decreases it a little increments down to the mm-hmm. 10th place. The top 10 teams or the top 10 drivers score points on a Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. And so there's two championships. There's the drivers, which is just very driver-specific. You score the most points in a season. And then constructors, which is you and your teammate driving for the same team added up combined. Um, and there's a lot of money incentives in, in the constructors um, championship. Okay. And you mentioned that uh, you, the part of the appeal is the personalities. Uh I, I, I totally understand the the enjoyment you can get out of watching like eccentric Europeans uh, crash cars into each other. Um, <laughs> are there certain drivers who are like, such a good description? <laughs> are, there, are there certain drivers like you really gravitate towards their personality for like your your, your favorite guys? Oh, well, Lewis Hamilton, of course. Uh, he is my favorite. I think that he mm-hmm. got me hooked into the sport uh, to to the degree that I am. What is, um, what is it about about him? He, oh, okay. you know, a lot of the drivers Hello. are either sons of, of F1 drivers or other racing sport people. And they come from a lot of money because racing is such an expensive sport to get into. Mm-hmm. And Lewis Hamilton doesn't come from any money. And he's the first and only black driver to ever make it to F1. Uh, and he has only t- that's where I know that name from. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. And he has seven world titles, which is tied with um, Michael Schumacher for the most ever. So he's the yeah, goat. That's, in Michael my Schumacher's opinion. a name that like I actually know. Like he's yeah, that he's, famous. Yeah, he's got Lewis Hamilton's got the most wins, the most poles, the most world titles. Um, he was oh, robbed yeah. of his eighth one through structural failings last year, mm-hmm. and so, and he's he's very conscious of diversity in the sport, diversity and inclusion, and um, he does a lot of charity work across the world about um, trying to get more people and more women and people of color into motor racing itself mm-hmm. because I think that like baseball, people are weeded out um, mm-hmm. too early and they're losing talent. So um, he's definitely my favorite, but there are guys that I prey upon their downfall and I like to watch them too. <laughs> Hell yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. We're, we're a hater friendly. It's, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, really yeah. <laughs> if you can't hate on it. Yeah. We, we do yeah. love hating. Can you give us, can you give us one um, little bit of, bit of a hit, bit of, uh, bit of hate here? Like who's a, Who's a, who's a driver you don't like? Um, the obvious one would be Max Verstappen. He's leading the championship right now, and he's uh, was that is Lewis's, a name I've heard before. Mm. Yeah, he's pretty famous. He's an extremely talented driver, and um, I honestly don't hate him that much. That's just kind of the easy answer. <laughs> There's like a, a there are a few drivers that I I despise, and I can't really put my finger on it. I just their vibes are off. The vibes are sure. incorrect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And if it's, Lance no. Stroll is one of those guys. Like I can't, I can't stand him. I don't like Mick Schumacher, which is Michael's son. I don't think that yeah. he deserves a seat. And so, yeah, I like to watch those guys. I think I figured out what you don't like about them is that uh, uh, they both look like the most Belgian men alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of Max Verstappen here, and, and this guy. I ran into this guy uh, in, in Brussels uh, on my high school trip, <laughs> and, he, and he absolutely like threw a beer at my head or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen if you ever watch F1 drivers try to play other sports, like throw a football, or I've seen some of them try to throw a baseball. It's like, well, you're good at driving, but you know, stick in that car. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that these are people who were born to drive cars, ride horses, or what, like water polo. Yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. It's a high skill. High skill. Do some sort of like weird hunt on horseback of like, yeah, an animal that'd make you sick if you found out they're killing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some ceremonial hunt. <laughs> exactly. So th- some weird shit from like a side quest in The Witcher 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we can look forward to you recreating that one TikTok about that guy talking about how he could strike out Timothy Chalamet, only you're going to be doing that to Max Verstappen. <laughs> yeah. You were born out, Max. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Max Verstappen can drive at 300 kilometers an hour, but he can't hit a fucking slider. I promise yeah, you that. Right. Not to save his life. Not to save his life. <laughs> Oh, all right. Awesome. Um, I think uh, I think that'll about do it. Thank you for indulging us on F1 there. And thanks for talking about the labor stuff. It really is. Yeah. Uh, that was fascinating insight. Really, really appreciated that. Yeah, it's so fucking cool having you on. Thank you so much. Yeah. All jokes no, aside, thank you guys for having me yeah. on. All jokes aside, it's the coolest thing to happen to baseball in years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Unequivocally. Yeah. Genuinely. Um, genuinely, 100%. This is the thing I'm most proud of in my career. Uh, I've pitched in the big leagues. I've pitched in the playoffs in the big leagues. And this is by far the coolest thing I've done. I think being a part of this group and being able to lay the groundwork for hopefully decades and decades to come of, of better situations for thousands of people and their family. There are 5,400 minor leaguers and Mm -hmm. this is going to help so many people. Are we going to get everything we want in the first bargaining? No, we never do, but it's about, um, getting a more fair deal and uh, yeah. and progress. Big step. You earned yourselves a seat at that table in the first place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And second right. achievement, right below that on on the on your resume, official betting around uh, F one uh, correspondent. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. There you go. Okay. okay. <laughs> now we go F one Twitter. Parting question: We we talked about you making history, you helping to make history with this. Uh, who do you want to play you in the movie? Oh yeah, good question. Ooh. Great question. I was not prepared for this question, you know? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know I was going to ask it until like three minutes ago. So again, we're the vibes podcast. Cause you know, uh, people are working on it. Someone out there is writing that script. Get, you got to get ready. Yeah, I'm trying to think of someone like gangly enough and like goofy enough to capture my, I could see Timothy Chalamet presence. doing a baseball movie. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> oh my God. No. <laughs> Uh, someone i'm trying to think of like young actors and i all i can picture like the stranger things kids like finn wolfhard yo (laughs) yes yes give it like give it like seven years yeah yeah why not it'll be like 22 23 by the time development goes through yeah 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 That's All right. that fucking rocks. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> once again, thanks, Trevor. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and, and thanks everyone for listening here. We're uh, gonna have watch alongs coming up. If you can hear this, you're uh, you can join our Discord. You're a Patreon supporter, so you can come watch playoff baseball with us. Um, we'll have more announcements on when those games are gonna be. All right. Thanks everyone. Bye.
cut from our student loans. We're gonna give them what's left of the shit we own. We're gonna.